Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. It's tough. We're in a very tough spot. I think that what we're doing right now is of great benefit and virtue because it's an end around between this whole corrupt informational system, media system. We claim to believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence and literally raised himself from the dead. And yet we're not going to believe that anything else exists in the spirit realm, even though his word tells us that they do. Their bodies weren't permitted to go to sleep like humans do, and they weren't permitted to go to heaven. So they wander the earth. You know, I've seen the eyes turn black to unknown tongues being spoken. These giants would live way up in the highland. The young graves, the young men would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12 footers to come walking down the path and they would jump on them and kill them and drag them back to the village and the village would feast on the body. Then people start to get weapons, they start to get armor, they start to build cities, they start to fortify their cities. Now, God looks down and there's violence everywhere. The battle, this war that we are at, is not against each other. It's against these principalities and these rulers and these archons in the high places. It's really worthwhile to read the Bible yourself. Fear is one of the primary drivers of mind control because we have to take every thought captive and resist fear. You're going to have a testimony that is a justice case against the kingdom of darkness. Welcome back to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. I'm your host, Rod, and thank you for being here with me. I'm going to do things a little bit different for this super cool respin that episode I'm doing today. Many of you may know, some of you may not know, it is L.A. Marzulli's birthday. He's a legend, and really, I look up to him in so many ways. I've been honored to interview him twice here on the Mustard Seed over the last couple of years. So what I decided to do to celebrate his birthday and just show some honor and respect to him is to re-spin both of his appearances here on the Mustard Seed. I'm doing them in reverse. So L.A. was on originally in season one, episode eight. We called it Megalithic Structures, about 40 minutes long. And then the second time LA was on was season three, episode 33, and that was in 2022. And we talk about wisdom, dreams, teleportation, all kinds of cool stuff. So what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna play season three's episode with LA Marzoli, and then at the end of that, it's gonna streamline right into the original first time LA was on podcast in 2020. This is just my way of saying happy birthday to him and reintroducing these epic episodes with Mr. Marzoli himself to a lot of the new listeners that are here on the Mustard Seed. So happy birthday, LA. I won't waste any more time. Let's get right into this epic back-to-back LA Marzoli. Let's go. Returning here on the Millennial Mustard Seed podcast, L.A. Marzulli, author, lecturer, filmmaker. He's penned a dozen books at this point, and it's just an honor to be able to talk with you and have you back on the show, L.A. Thank you for being here. Well, Rodney, the pleasure is all mine. The honor is all mine, and thank you for having me back on. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. 2020 was the last time you were back on and we talked about megalithic structures sure. and at that time. I was watching, you know, I had ordered some on the trail, the Nephilim DVDs and we were doing small men's groups and it, your work really helped um, this group of men, you know, small group of men here in Southeastern Pennsylvania. So um, a lot of respect cool. to you. When you say Southeastern, tell me where you are. So I don't want to actually say the neighborhood I live in, but okay, I am right. very close to Reading, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in Montgomery County. Yeah, I, I grew up in Lancaster County until I was 18. I went to Conestoga High School. <laughs> that's awesome. No kidding. So that's why I asked. That's really cool. Okay, man. So I got some questions for you. There's been oh. a lot going on in the world since we last talked, and I have sure. a bunch of things written down here, but I know we're not, there's never enough time when I'm talking with you. I listen to you uh, with the YouTube um, program that you do and you you've grown. Absolutely, man. I I support you. Like the listeners are going to be like, geez, don't take up too much time bringing this up, but they're going to remember the first time you were on. I talked about Chuck Missler being the guy that led me to finding you. So Mm -hmm. I was going to a small church right outside of Philadelphia. And I was asking questions based upon experiences and, and ideas. And the pastor gave me some Chuck Misser DVDs and that launched me into um, falling off my chair repetitively while listening to him for. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. And then I found you. Yeah. So with all that being said, to have you back on here years later, it's, this is amazing, man. I want to ask, I want to start off by asking you, LA, how has your faith grown in these recent years in light of the research and kind of the confirmations we've been seeing happening uh, with very peculiar things all around the world at this point? Well, um, that's a really interesting question. You know, first of all, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So that's, that's who I am. And we're all, we're all, all of us who are here, and follow the Lord or born against birth. So we all have training wheels on. That's what, that's what we have. We have training wheels. We, you know, sin, we fall short of the glory of God. We need a redeemer. That's where Jesus comes in. <clears throat> I'll be 72 years old yes, in sir. December. And in some ways I feel like I'm just, just getting started. I mean, really, <laughs> it's just, which I know is absurd because, you know, 72, the glass, the glass isn't half full anymore. Let's face it. I'm getting up there. And I don't know how much time the Lord's going to have me here. But, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, my hand is on the plow. Uh, I am working harder in some ways than I've ever worked before. Uh, We've got another video coming out very shortly. Probably it'll go to duplication by the end of next week, close to it anyway, uh, which is incredible. Now that'll be number four in the ongoing UFO series that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, also working on a new book with uh, my my favorite editor, Sonda Allison. She's really great. Uh, we published our first book from a, from an author, not myself, Vicki Joy Anderson. It's on sleep paralysis. Rodney, mm-hmm. if you haven't interviewed her, you want to get her on your show. She's amazing. The book is called, here I go down a rabbit trail, but the book is called, they only come out at night and it's on sleep paralysis. It's very detailed. She's born again, spirit filled, fantastic uh, on an interview, just absolutely fantastic. And uh, if you send me a, you know, I can send you a link and, and hook you guys up because she's Vicky's amazing. And the book is incredible. 
And I know many, many people suffer from sleep paralysis and are afraid to even talk about it at church because, you know, it's like, oh, you've got a demon in you or whatever. So, you know, and it's just, I believe that we're in the end of the end days, the last days. I believe things are ramping up. So now's not the time for vacation. Uh, I am going on a 10-day skiing vacation. I will bring the cameras with me. Either that, <laughs> either that or I will record ahead of time. So we'll have all of our shows lined up so you won't miss anything. Um, and, you know, there you go. So um, I love what I do. The Lord has led me here. It's taken years to uh, spend time in the on the anvil and the forge of a living God where he reshapes a human being mentally, physically, in every way possible, certainly spiritually. And, you know, here we are, all glory to the king. It, it, what amazes me about him is that he gives us utter autonomy, complete autonomy when you think about that. I mean, that's just not so. So he, gets, he doesn't want a bunch of robots running around. What good is that? So... You know, we get to the point and people, you know, people on the other side of the aisle will go, well, you know, he created you with a sin nature. That really sucks, man. So, you know, you have no choice but to love him. No, no, no. I have a choice all day long. I have a choice. I don't have to. <clears throat> I know people that have that have heard the gospel for, you know, 60 years and have never come across the line. They never will in some cases because um, they don't want to bend the knee. <clears throat> they don't want to worship the creator that, that created him. So here we have this incredible God who creates us and then gives us 100% autonomy. Do whatever you want to do. Just, you know, here I am, you know, knock on the door and I'll come in. I'm knocking, I'm, excuse me, I'm knocking on the door, you know, but you got to let me in type of a thing. And uh, that happened to me 42 years ago, which literally changed my entire life and completely it's never been the same since. But He's not only is he loving, I've really been pondering this, you know, who are you really? What, what are you really? You know, where, where do you come from? Well, we don't know that we can't. And, and if we go down that rabbit hole, our little puny three-dimensional brains can't, can't comprehend any of that. You know, if, if before him, was there anything? Oh, no, that doesn't work either because he's before everything. So, you know, who is he? What, what is he? And, of course, that's where Jesus comes in because, you know, I, I love that, that passage. I think it's in Colossians, you know. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. You know, it's just uh, so that he would be preeminent in all things. So he incarnates here. He allows himself to die, to experience that. And then, of course, he goes, this is in the book that I wrote, the last book that I wrote. A counter move, how the Nephilim returned after the flood. But there's a paper by Bollinger. And in that paper, Bollinger, you know, is, is looking at that passage where Jesus descends to the lower parts of the earth and proclaims, preaches the spirits who are in prison there. And basically what he's saying is, no, there's no jailbreak. You're not getting out. It's over. You know, checkmate. It's over. And so when we read that passage in Colossians, you know, he's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. He was the firstborn of the dead. He's he's the one that tasted death, that went through the whole thing, but then took the keys, went down, showed the, the, the prisoners, the fallen angels in those dark dungeons, no jailbreak, not getting out, it's checkmate. That's it. It's over. I won. 
So the idea that he's the firstborn of the dead is is really is is just incredible. So it, it's hard to wrap my head around it. So let me get this straight: the eternal, all-knowing, you know, all-seeing, all-incredible, all-loving God creates puny man. <laughs> you know, our days are mortal, and then he decides, and it says, "And the fullness of God was within him." And he decides to incarnate on this goofy little planet and experience what we all experience because of sin. What? I mean, what? It's just like, if that's not love, I mean, I don't know what is. And then he dies this just horrific, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, this brutal, horrific death. You know, the Romans were just just jerks. I mean, they really were. You know, that's why cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, are you kidding me? There's no way back. In other words, once 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 you've been scourged like that, you're you're half dead anyway. And you know, all the bomb of Gilead is, is not gonna not gonna heal that up. And then he carries the the crossbeam up, falls down, you know, he's being scourged all along the way, and then they nail him. So, you know, once that nail goes in, it's not like, you know, this isn't I'm not, I'm not coming off of here. And he knows that. There's no way back. This is it. There's no, I mean, it's terrifying when you think about it as a, as a mortal man to realize that we're pinning my arms to this wooden crossbeam. They're nailing my feet. There's, I'm never coming out of this. It's designed to kill me and I'm going to die. And you linger. Uh, many people would linger for, for hours, even days before they would finally succumb to the crucifixion. That's why they broke the legs. Because then you can't you can't raise yourself up. So this is how barbaric that is. They break the legs? I mean, are you freaking kidding me? So on top of everything else, now I'm sitting here, I'm already writhing in agony, and they break my legs? They didn't do that with Jesus because he was already dead, but they did it to the two thieves, which is just, I mean, this is unspeakable cruelty. It's just barbaric, totally barbaric. So he incarnates himself, goes through everything we go, we we experience, and then comes out the other side. And, you know, now he's a risen Savior seated at the right hand of the Father. So I don't pretend to know any of this. I'm just just blown away. Um, and, you know, we, we, we go to churches on Sunday and, and we worship him. And, you know, I raise my hand. Lord gets, the Lord got me up at 1 o'clock in the morning. It's between 1 and 3 every day. And I recite all the scriptures that I know, and then I raise my hand and worship, and I worship him. And then the Holy Spirit shows up, and we we commune. I mean, sometimes it's really it's he's, he's it's like a tingling all over my body. Um, if someone is is telling me truth, let's say I meet someone and they begin to tell me something, and they're starting to quote scripture, my I will feel that same sensation through my body. The Holy Spirit rises up because it's the Word, the Word of God. And I sit there, you know, I raise my hands and I worship, but I really don't have a clue as to who he is and what he is. And I mean, imagining him in all of his glory, when, when we see that, how can we not fall on our faces? You know, and that's what the, the 24 elders, I mean, look at the book of Revelation, you know, they're all casting their crowns and falling on their faces. They're doing that because they're overwhelmed. They're, they're just overwhelmed. But first of all, they're a created being. But second of all, they're autonomous. They don't have to be doing this. They could have chosen another fate, but they didn't. And now they're overwhelmed 
I think the reason why why we worship is because we're overcome with with his love. We're just so overcome with the love of God that there's no nothing else to do but raise our hands. That's why, you know, when the Lord shows up here, you know, at a meeting or whatever, and people just begin to weep, you know, most people are just overcome by the love of the Lord that's manifesting. That's just it's unspeakable. There's no there's no words to describe it. And and peace comes and love comes and it's just like and joy comes and you sit there and you go, You've got to be kidding me. And we're asked just to taste. That's amazing because it's so important that every generation is reminded of let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Mm. You know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and our testimony, according to Revelation. Yeah. And there's so many things you said there that resonated with me, L.A. And, and that's why I just love hearing you talk, because we're all, all of us who confess the Christ and we believe in our hearts and we confess with our lips that the lamb of God has come. The Messiah has come in the flesh and he has bore our sins and risen up according to the scriptures on the third day. We're in the process and on the journey to ask what you were asking a few minutes back. God, who are you really? And why do you love me the way that you love me? (laughs) The, the, The sanctifying process, right? Like that's so important. He says, I knew you at the end of the age instead of I never knew you, right? There's a relationship that's so important. So uh, your faith growing over the course of your life and then you being able to depict that to to me and, and to the listeners, that's edifying. That's the purpose of this podcast is to ask questions, to get sharpened, to learn, and to listen to other people's journeys and processes as we evaluate where we are. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. I'm having a moment now like I did when Derek Gilbert was on a few weeks back and at the right place at the right time. God says, do not fear, do not be afraid. And, And I just feel comfort hearing you talk about this process of wanting to know God and and how he's been working on you in those secret places as the years go on. Mm -hmm. Um, The next question I have for you, man, is to this day, what remains one of the strangest Bible verses for you? (laughs) 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 I know, I know, but I had to ask. Where do you even begin without one? You know, it's just, um, oh, It, it's 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 just so hard to pin down. I mean, it's just you know wherever you wherever you go, there he is. Um, <laughs> it's I think the one thing that 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 I'm I'm always turning over in my head because see I'm always wondering. Okay, you know, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die, but but some of us will you know basically get beamed up in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the rapture of the church. And I realize it's a controversial hot button subject. Oh, we're not coming up. People get all ticked off. You know, it's like, okay, believe what you want to believe. I'm not going to argue it. But mm-hmm. how does that work? I mean, seriously, how does that work? Yeah. You know, what, what button does he push? You know, I mean, how does he translate us from here to there? You know, a, a type of rapture would be, Phillips by location. I mean, how does that work? 
So Philip's in one place talking to the Ethiopian, right? Yeah, yeah. Eunuch. And then Puffy's over here. Okay. Now, I've seen that. I've seen someone bilocate. When I was with the guru, uh, Guru Maharaji, you know, decades ago, this was over 50 years ago now. And um, I was with a Mahatma, this holy man from India. And we were walking on the on the sand on the beach. And he first communicated with, with me telepathically. And he goes, hold this. Telepathically. He couldn't speak any English. And I'm sitting there going like, I heard him in my head. And I'm going, that didn't really happen. He looks at me and he hands me his clothes with a big smile on his face. So the next time it happened, I was... He told me what to do, and I did it. He's communicating with me telepathically. Now, remember, I'm. this is all occult stuff, lower astral stuff, second heaven stuff. This yeah. is the stuff of shamans. This is the stuff we don't deal with. You know, we just don't because it's uh, there's power there. So he goes in the ocean, gets wet, comes out. We give him a towel. I'm with two other people, I think. And we're walking with him on the beach. Get this. We're walking with him on the beach, okay? He's right next to us. All of a sudden, in a blink of an eye, he's 50, 60 yards down the beach, just like just like this. There he is, gone. And he turns around, looks at us and smiles and keeps walking. And we all just go, oh, my gosh, what just happened? There you go. There you go. So... You know, the occult people, shamans use this um, technique, but it's a counterfeit of what the Most High God did with Philip. When when Elijah is taken in, in, in the chariot, how does that work? What kind of mechanism is that? Mike Kaiser calls it the divine taxi, which is, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek. But that's exactly what it is. It's the divine taxi, the divine shuttle. It's, you know, the, the, the Uber driver from heaven, whatever, whatever little, you know, silly, silliness you want to put on it. But I mean, there it is, you know, it's heaven's Uber. Um, we, Ronnie, I just think we're in a window of time where uh, time is growing short. It's accelerating in ways that I've never seen. Um, good is called evil, evil is called good. That's the fulfillment of prophecy and scripture. Truth is thrown to the street. Everything is politicized. Uh, we're in a window of time that, in my opinion, is absolutely unprecedented. And now the whole UFO phenomenon is is being slowly unraveled and revealed, even though recently there's been some pushback you know, from certain government agencies. But other government agencies are going, yeah, we've got off-world vehicles you know, in our possession. What? Off-world vehicles, what does that mean? And who's making these off-world vehicles? And what do these denizens who are making these off-world vehicles look like? So that's that's why we're doing four films on the UFO phenomenon, because basically, in my opinion, it is the coming great deception. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It is the coming great deception. Everything will change. And, you know, I'm just one guy. I'm flailing my arms, and and, and people still don't listen, and that's fine. It, it doesn't matter. People don't, I'm not angry about it. Let's get that straight. It's none of my concern. I'm free. It's none of my concern whether, whether people want to listen. I've done my job. The blood is not on my hands. I've done my job as a watchman. 
Okay. I've told you what's going on. I've, I've called it out with great specificity, tied it back on the scripture. Here we go. And if people want to listen, fine. If they don't, I don't care anymore. Rodney, I'm, I'm free of all that. The Lord, the Lord opens the doors and closes it. People don't want to listen. I'll just give you an example. I live in the Santa Monica Mountains outside of Los Angeles, okay? I'm about as remote as you can get in the L.A. area. It's just amazing. You know, there's like 20 million people here, twice the size of the pe- all the population of Portugal, all living in Los Angeles, right? Just dreadful. Just dreadful. But I'm in an area that there's nobody here. Um, there's, I, I see the stars at night. It's quiet. It's peaceful. I've got mountain lions and bobcats and coyotes and ospreys and eagles and all sorts of wildlife and foxes all around me all the time. And, of course, rattlesnakes, which is why we have the place fenced in with a snake fence to keep the little rattlers out because, you know, they, just, they hide. And who wants to get my dog got nailed this year? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a hole in the rattlesnake fence. Sure enough, that's where they came in, killed three of them. So, uh yeah, I mean, now it's November, so they're all, you know, moving off to the dens to hibernate, but there might be a few stragglers, but I digress. So where was I going with this? So I'm in the Santa Monica Mountains. I mean, it's it's incredibly remote. And I went down too many rabbit trails, and I forget I forget the thread. <laughs> Sometimes that happens, like you make a left trunk, down this rabbit hole. Let's talk about the snake fence. That's another thing. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the three rattlers that we killed. I can't get back because I don't remember the thread of what the heck I was, the point I Listen, was. Listen, hey, yeah, all yeah. the points are, we're oh, yeah. driving towards like the direction where all of what is flowing out of us is important. So like, yeah, we, that's why I said in the beginning, there's never enough time because I could sit and listen no. to you talk all day, man. Well, I appreciate that. But, but in the LA area, there's 20 million people. There are, here's the point. There are thousands of people, thousands of churches rather in the LA area. Thousands of churches. Rodney, I've never been invited to one church in the LA area, not one. Not one. About six years ago, there was a little fellowship. I forget where it was. <clears throat> I knew this guy was a general contractor. And we, you know, he recognized me from some show and he came up and he also pastors on the weekends. So we struck up a conversation and I spoke at his church. That's it. That's it. In, in five or six years. People call the podcast and ministry. You know, I've had people say, how's the ministry going? And it is when I started this, I, it was never intended to be a ministry. It's the millennial mustard seed. Like I'm a millennial. I feel small and insignificant. And I've literally been, you know, rejected by just about, uh, I don't know, every, every opportunity possible. I've been thrown into the dirt. So I stayed there. And when God found me, the dirt that I landed in was, was good enough soil. Um, mm. Because he loves, he loves in a way that we can't quite wrap our heads around. He doesn't see the outward appearance and he doesn't judge based upon um, our status or knowledge or culture, where we're from, what we know. He looks at the heart and that almost broke me. That LA, Mm. that almost broke me. Just not like who, like you were saying 15 minutes ago, Mm. who is he? He's Christ. He was crucified before the foundations of the earth. And something that's been on my heart recently is as the battle rages and as a million messages and signals are floating around, causing all the confusion and chaos that most of the world is completely engulfed in. I think I slow down and I just think to myself, 
if we are in Christ and we agree according to the scriptures, we're speaking from a place of victory. People call this a ministry, LA. Here's the church, man. Two or more are gathered. Now, I wish we were in person so we could like break some bread and like, you know, I could spend some real time with you. But for what this is, I believe if the Apostle Paul was here right now, he'd be doing a podcast. <laughs> he'd be writing letters, <laughs> doing a podcast. He'd probably be hollering out the window at people passing by. He would, he would have utilized anything he had access to. And I look at it as we're living in, you know, this chapter of time that's so peculiar. It's unlike any other, any other time. And, and hey, LA, you're peculiar. The Bible says I'm peculiar according to many. Amen. We are called to be a peculiar people. <laughs> Man, it, and you're talking about stuff that, you know, the first portion of this, it reminds me of, um, you know, how we're really super soldiers in Christ. Everybody's all oh, transhumanism, super soldiers. And yes, there's some information to be covered there. I was actually kind of hoping to pick your brain on that, but I was thinking about being a super soldier from the kingdom perspective, seeking the kingdom first, a personal relationship, right? Armor of God, not forgetting to equip ourselves, fasting, secret prayer, worship, making declaration, right? Reading the word and standing up, no fear of the truth, man. You are so intrepid literally have taught me over the years from watching you because I've seen so many cowards in the church that I'm like, well, he's different. And I feel like what he's saying hmm. and acknowledging that in Christ, we are coming from a place of victory already. It's like we won the game and the scores it's over Christ won. And we're walking off the field and the enemy is throwing elbows and tripping people and doing anything he can. And that's how I like and mm -hmm. what's going on right now. But, um, man, I just, this feels like a, a very, um, I'm very involved in this emotionally, this conversation. I'm no longer interviewing. <laughs> it's completely off of my question here and, uh, my, the topic I thought I'd come into this with, but that's what I love about what the Holy Spirit does and not having, there's no strict guidelines, man. This is a conversation. We're capturing a conversation and I hope it helps people. I really do. I really Amen. do. Amen. If you were given the stage and God told you, man, this is, this is the last time you're going to get to speak to the body of Christ. Mm. What message would you deliver to them? Wow, when, no one's ever asked me that before. That's that's very interesting. I would um, I would I would basically quote Revelation 19 um, and basically say that, uh, <clears throat> behold, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, <clears throat> whose rider is faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flaming fire, and on his heads are many crowns. He has a name written on himself that no one but he, oh boy, here I go, I can't even get through it, that no one but he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Hmm. He is called the word of God. The armies of heaven rode with him on white horses dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, and on his robe and on his thigh it is written, King of kings, Lord of lords. That is where we are headed. And you want to be in one place and one place only, all of us. We want to be seated on white horses riding with him. I don't think 
the entire host of heaven is there. I think it's a select group of warriors that mm. he takes with him. I don't know what the requirements are. I've often I was there for three seconds forty two years ago. I was mm-hmm. when I was a, a baby Christian. I had never oh, please read tell me. 19. Yeah, please tell me about this. I've never been never read Revelation nineteen. Uh, didn't know what it said. And um, second, I was getting ready for bed, and uh, I was actually laying down. My head was on the pillow, and all of a sudden, I was translated like Paul in the body. Around it. it was not a vision. I can't stress that enough. It was not a vision. I was there for three seconds. I'm holding, I find myself seated on this white horse. There were no bridle. There there was no bridle. There was no saddle. I'm holding the horse's mane. Second one. Second two, I look to my left and all the horses are parted. So way below me, not really below, but probably... You know, but but there is the rider on the white horse. Of course, is Jesus. I didn't know that at the time. Then I go from there and I look in front, and and there are um, I'm about eight nine rows back from the front, and in the front are really really big guys. I mean, really big guys. And that was it. I came back and I had no idea where I was, what had just happened. And I told my pastor, he sat there and looked at me the next day with his jaw on the ground. And he goes, have you ever read this? And I go, no. And that's exactly where I was at. The armies of heaven were not in a typical array, like in, like in an army on one plane. First of all, it was a horseshoe shape with a rider on the white horse in the middle of that horseshoe. We were stacked like an elevator, one, two, three, five, ten, twelve. The armies of heaven are stacked like the floors of an apartment building. Up we go. So it was this huge throng enveloping the rider on the white horse, and we were riding down. And what people need to understand, what was written will come to pass. What was foretold is unfolding. We are in the last of the last days. And I would I would start off by telling people, Revelation 19 is right around the corner. The rider on the white horse is is coming, and he will rule with a rod of iron. There's, there's no doubt about that. He will do that. There will be at least 4 billion people left on the planet when he comes back. They have no idea what just took place, who is this guy, what's going on, what happened to the, you know, to the world leader, why are the armies of heaven gathered there, who are these people on white horses, and that's when he dispatches us. We're on white horses that can fly. White horses wow. that can fly. And so he dispatches us once we once he lands on the on the on the Mount of Olives. He do, the battle ends, he lands on the Mount of Olives, the whole deal. And he's got this white horse police force. That's what I've nicknamed it. The white horse police force. And he dispatches us. He communicates with us telepathically. And off we go to our designation. And this fulfills the scripture that you will do greater things than what I do. We've never seen that. People people quote that, but they don't understand that just maybe that's for the millennial. Just maybe that what he's talking about is for the millennial kingdom. And that's what I think it is. So get this. We're on flying white horses in glorified bodies. We can't sin anymore. And... He dispatches us. Let's say he dispatches L.A. Marzulli to, you know, Reading, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Why not? Right? 
<laughs> so, so I go to Reading, Pennsylvania, and all these people are clamoring. And the first thing I do, I land with the white horse, and people start gathering around, and I start preaching the gospel, uh, telling them exactly what's going on. And there's someone in the crowd that's sick, a paraplegic, or they're blind. And I start healing people, opening eyes of the blind, make, make the lame walk. You will do greater things than, than I do. But all the time when I'm doing this, I know the source of the power. I know who's doing it. I know where, where I, even though I'm in my resurrected, glorified body, I know where the source is. I'm just completely plugged into the source. And so that's what I think the millennial kingdom is for a thousand years. He does rule them with a rod of iron. There's no crack houses. There's no child trafficking. There's no fentanyl coming in from China. There's no, you know, people uh, coming across the southern border with cocaine and, and marijuana. There's none of that. And if they try it, that's where the White Horse Police Force comes in. I'm in a glorified body, so what are you going to do, pal? You know, are you feeling lucky, punk? Where are you? And, and you know, with my sense of humor, I'll be doing that in my glorified body. Because Jesus had a sense of humor after he rose from the dead. We're not going, oh. I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be Mr. Goofalo, and I know that. I'll be imitating, you know, what's his face, Dirty Harry. Are you feeling lucky, punk? I can't wait to do it. I'll be hysterical. You know, uh, but but that's that's what that's we're awesome. doing. That's that's our hope. That's you can't fix yeah. this anymore, Rodney. You can't you can't fix this anymore. Yeah. It's it's beyond fixing. It's so corrupt. It's so over the top. Truth is thrown to the street, and so there's there's one way out of here. Uh, that's the rapture of the church, and then the tribulation begins. The time of the antichrist. I believe the Antichrist is here. I believe he's walking amongst us. I believe that he will rise to the top, that he will be embraced as a great world leader. Um, and the rest is history. And the nonsense will continue for seven years till the rider comes back. And then that's it. And the uh, the dragon is, is thrown, you know, and uh, he's uh, down into the bottomless pit he goes. How does that work? And I had another, I had a dream almost um, almost a year ago now, not quite a year, but about eight months ago, really vivid. And in a dream, it's the millennium, and I'm on my white horse, and I'm in this really weird area. I'm in this place where nothing grows, steam is coming out of the ground, it's scorched earth, it's all blackened. My white horse is a good 50, maybe 30, 40 yards away, I don't know, He's he's there. But he's, he's a good distance away from me. And I'm making my, my way through this no man's land where steam's coming out of the rock and it's all blackened and very volcanic looking and it's a no man's land. And in front of me, there's a fissure that's opened up in the earth. And out of the fissure comes this gullum-like creature from the Lord of the Rings. And I look at him and I go, I know who you are. That's what I say. And the moment that it comes out of my mouth, I'm hit in my solar plexus with an invisible force and hurled back 20, 30 feet. Okay? But I'm in a glorified body. I get up. I look at him one more time. I get on my white horse. This is the dream I had. I get on my white horse and fly back to Jerusalem. I make my way to the king, Jesus. And I look at Jesus and I go, he's out. That's all I say. He's out. And the Lord looks at me and with a very solemn face and he goes, I know. 
and that the dream ends. <laughs> he's just like, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, he just, it's just, what a dream, right? And I'm sitting there waking up and going, why me? Why do I have a dream like this? And I'm not setting myself up as the guy, whether that's true or not, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's going to sound the alarm at some point when he gets out. And I guess why not me? I don't know. I mean, you know, there's certainly many other people. Uh, the Apostle John is certainly way ahead of me on this. Lord, why not? Maybe John's busy doing other things. I don't know. But I mean, I, I, I hold on to it loosely. I'm not trying to make it or puff myself up or anything like that. I'm just telling you the dream I had. But somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be, you know, keeping keeping tabs on the situation, as it were. Um, one of the things I joke about at conferences sometimes is that once we're in our glorified body, I am going to start a petition not to let them back out in a thousand years. You know? <laughs> so I, it's, it's only a game with that goofy petition. I know, Gabriel. Um, um, okay, I'll see him. You know, it's just like, you know. It's just uh, LA, there's it's, some it's, chatter among the angels. Yeah. <laughs> we really have to let him out. You know, we really have to do this. You know, yes, it has to come to pass, that. right? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. So. I love it. This is it's just so it's so deep and so edifying for me. Like I when I listen to people and I'm like really involved and interested in what they're saying, it's almost like I can just watch like a movie of it unfold in my head. Um, I guess all of that creativity that uh, people said was trouble when I was a kid actually helped keep me concreted mm. in um, my belief in Christ as the days grew on and I got a little bit older. I don't want to share any of my dreams after hearing yours, man. I just know <laughs> I got to shoot a little bit higher than being the doorkeeper in the kingdom. <laughs> uh, doorkeeper, man. Are you kidding me? I would love yeah, and be yeah, honored to be a doorkeeper yeah, in the kingdom. I'd be honored to be a doorkeeper. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. I have a couple more questions here. I know you said you wanted to keep it close to 40 minutes. We're there now, but I want to keep you a little bit longer if you can. How about we do one more question and then we break it off? One more question. You got there it. You go. For the listeners out there that are younger and newer to the faith, who there, we covered a lot of meat. You covered a lot of meat in this episode. Help encourage us by answering this question for me. If you could write a short letter, paragraph or two, to the younger you at whatever age that was when you started studying the Bible, mm. everything that you know now, what would you say to the younger you? I would, I would let them know that, that life is very short, it's fleeting, and that the enemy always has a set of um, standards for uh, the younger generation. I was a hippie. I went to Woodstock. I wore bell bottoms. I had a huge afro because my hair is frizzy. You know, I, I smoked <laughs> dope. So now it's all changed. You know, it's like, let's get as many tattoos as we possibly can. Let's just sleep with one another because we really don't need marriage. And I'm just using cocaine or marijuana, or, you know, I'm doing microdoses or whatever it is. So we need to understand that the enemy the enemy always has a different plan for each generation to lure them in, to keep them from the truth, to keep them from understanding what's around them and what reality really is. There is evil. There is a, a figure. He is the dragon. He has many, many uh, servants that work for his kingdom. 
the entire planet right now is under his sway. There's no doubt about that. Hollywood will lie to you 24-7. Stop going to movies because they're ridiculous. Watch good documentaries instead. Learn something. Understand that you are surrounded by occult underpinnings everywhere, from the Super Bowl to the ads that you see on TV, that you've been told a lie, probably from the time that you were born, unless your parents were born-again spirit-filled Christians who really understood the Lord and understood Scripture and raised you up in that. And even then, you think Katy Perry's okay. And that that's that's my whole point. And as, as we grow older, just like I'm 72 in December, you know, I, I've been through all that. I, you know, I watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And, you know, I watched, I was involved in the peace movement and the hippie movement. I, all that. I had, I had, I, I embraced Eastern mysticism. I was with a guru for three years. My third eye was open. That were, that was all. Everything I just mentioned was the trappings for my generation. So, you know, I'm just using Katy Perry as an example. She's part of the trappings of your generation. Uh, Miley Cyrus is a perfect example. So Miley, you know, is, is Hannah Montana. But then all of a sudden she just goes completely off the rails and she becomes this rebellious, Poor, for lack of a better word, and I don't use that as a disparaging word, but she acts like a whore, um, and and that's okay. And how many you know thousands or tens of thousands of young girls went with her and thought that that was perfectly acceptable? So we, you need to understand. I have already understood it, but I'll, I'll inclusive. We need to understand that the dragon always sets up uh, a different a different game plan for each generation. He doesn't stick with the same one. He changes it. And so he's always changing, always moving around to lure that generation into um, not only depravity, but into a false religious system, into self-obsession, into um, areas that very difficult to come back from. I'll give you one example. The other day I was uh, um, riding in my car. I was going down for a run on the beach. And I, I was asking the Lord, you know, it's like, and I was thinking of a, a particular individual. I won't mention his name, but you, if I mentioned it, you would know who it was. And I just said, you know, how do you come back from that, Lord? How, how do you come back from that? And there was no answer. And then <clears throat> later on in the day, as I was driving back to the house, um, a series of circumstances occurred to where I actually was in my car. I, I thought it was my neighbor's car coming at me. So I rolled down my window and, and waved him to stop. And this individual stopped and he rolled down his window and I went, oh, you've got to be kidding me to myself. Oh my gosh. And we conversed. And I, I just won't mention the guy's name, but <clears throat> all of a sudden I realized that until the moment of death, a person can be redeemed. There, there's, you know, no matter what you've done, no matter what we've done, there's always that hope of redemption. And redemption is just literally a breath away, just a breath away. And all we do is ask for forgiveness, his forgiveness. Make me whole, Lord. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. And he does. And that's the miracle of Jesus. Well, L.A., let the listeners know where they can find you. Um, the show has been growing. Tell the people where they can find you. Um, on YouTube, it's L.A. Marzulli. Um, we also have a new a new music channel where I, I do all my solo piano stuff. That's L.A. Marzulli's Music. And there are two different channels 
and that's just all solo piano. It's sort of neoclassical, so it's, dare I say, you've actually got to sit and listen to it. But the main YouTube channel is five shows every week. Monday is Supernatural Confrontations, where people who've had a supernatural experience come on the record via Zoom. Number two, uh, Tuesday is uh, Armatrail of a Nephilim. That's an update. Wednesday is a UFO update. Number Thursday, number four, Thursday's show is Questions with LA. And today was, you know, uh, where do fallen angels get the technology from, you know, to, you know, to do what they do. And then, of course, Friday we end with another supernatural confrontation. That's all on our YouTube channel. We got 168,000 subscribers and it's growing. Uh, the website is LA Marzuli and the streaming site, if you want to just download uh, any of the videos, and I wish you that you would, that's streaming at lamarzuli.net. You guys know the deal. The Bible says, as you see these things happening, all these diversity of things happening simultaneously to look up for our redemption draws near. You guys have heard it from LA tonight in the background, just in awe at him um, sharing this process, this journey, and some of the idiosyncrasies, the experiences of his long and beautiful transformation and walk with the Lord. Mm. LA, the honor was mine. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Ronnie, I appreciate it. Anytime you want to do it again, let me know, okay? Yes, sir. Okay, now you're about to listen to LA's appearance in 2020 called Megalithic Structures. This is the first time I spoke with him. And happy birthday, LA Marzoli. Let's get into his original appearance. Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. Thank you so much for being here. I have a very special episode in store for you. I have L.A. Marzoli coming on as a guest here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Everybody knows somebody with a strange supernatural encounter. Personally, I believe the veil is thinning, and in the days we're living in, we're going to see more and more supernatural things come to pass. Dreams, visions, eyewitness encounters, lights in the skies. I mean, the list goes on and on. But there's nobody better, in my opinion, to have here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast than Mr. Marzulli himself. Let's jump right into this episode. So my son, Adam Jack, said he had to be a part of this show. <laughs> Adam, are you ready for the show? <laughs> I have L.A. Marzulli here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. We got some ground to cover. When I accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior in 2014, I was going to church in Norristown, and I had a lot of questions, and the pastor gracefully answered as much as he could, and he said, listen, I want you to check out Dr. Chuck Missler. And after getting about a 10-DVD set and spending the next couple months of my life studying and reading and, and asking questions, and eventually I found L.A. Marzulli. Now, I'm a huge fan of L.A.'s work. He's penned 12 different books, produced 10 different movies at this point. In 2014, he got a, a medallion award from... Dr. Chuck Missler. He passed away May 1st, 2018. Rod, uh, you know, I'm, I miss Chuck too. And I cut my teeth like you probably did on 6640 
his daily Bible show. And uh, I would just stop what I was doing, run to my truck, flip it on. I was in construction then. I had a cabinet shop and sit there and listen to it from 4 to 4.30 and then go back to work for another hour in my shop and uh, head home. But uh, Chuck, you know, Chuck was a mentor, no doubt about it. And he impacted my life and many others. So good guy. Miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. He always had me on the edge of my seat. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I do want to ask you, what led you down the path, the unique path that you've been on? Well, that's a really good question. I would say the first thing that really hit me um, was the death of my grandfather. Uh, we didn't have any pets, so I hadn't experienced death at all. Uh, and I was about seven years old when he passed away. And that impacted me uh, greatly. In fact, my mother would not allow us to go to the funeral that's another three-hour conversation, which was a big mistake. We should have gone because kids need to understand what's going on. Otherwise, they, there's no way for them to process it. And I didn't, you know, because I couldn't go to the funeral, I had no way of processing that. There was no release point for me. But that that triggered something. And I think the next, the one that really did it was when I was 18 and my girlfriend was 16 and she was killed in a hit-and-run automobile accident. And that was life changing. I mean, that was absolutely life changing. And that put me on the quest, you know, what are we doing here? What is this all about? Up till that time, I had been reading all sorts of books anyway, and been heavily involved in looking into Eastern mysticism and all of that. But when, when Michelle was killed in the automobile accident, that, that's, you know, that, that was a whole that was a whole different deal. And that really put me on the quest, which led me eventually to Guru Maharaji, where I received knowledge and joined the ashram and all the other nonsense. I actually write about this in some of my books because, you know, it's a, it's a false, it's a false system. Yeah, there's stuff there. You can experience something, but it never deals with the, the, the crux of the matter, which is a, a human being's depravity, our sin nature. I prefer to call it the dragon code rather than the sin nature. I mean, sin nature is what it, you know, people go that, well, what does that mean? Well, what it really is, it's we're grafted in with the dragon code. That's what the sin nature is. The sin nature is the dragon code. It's from the evil one. It's from Satan. And that's why we have all the nonsense that happens on this planet. Uh, we're all imbued with the dragon code. And when we become born again, a spirit filled, our DNA begins to change. And we have less and less of that dragon code in us and more, we become more Christ-like. That's a lifelong process. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I turned 70 this year, and in some ways, <clears throat> I feel like a babe in the woods. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I have this saying among my friends and close family. I say, Lord, do what it is that only you can do. You know, with his ways being so much greater than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts, it's amazing to see how he webs together all of these journeys in our lives and brings about good out of some dark situations. Now, L.A., I want to ask you, is there a connection between ancient sites, megalithic structures that are seen all around the world? Yeah, uh, you know, at, undoubtedly. I mean, we actually proved that uh, in, in Episode 5 okay. of the Trail of the Nephilim series, the Axis Mundi, the America Stonehenge Part 2. That's a mouthful. But, for, you know, I, I'm going way too fast. People, what is he talking about? Access money, America. America Stonehenge is a site, megalithic site. We believe it's 4,000 years. It's in Salem, New Hampshire. I've been there about three or four or five times, something like that. 
and we spent spent about two weeks there filming. And uh, Dennis Stone really shared with us some incredible information. Uh, America Stonehenge is, we call it the Axis Monday, the center of the world, because that site, as I mentioned, is a 4,000-year-old site. Well, okay, so who cares? Well, listen to this. Kelsey Stone was a college student, about 23 years old, and he had grown up on that site, America Stonehenge. Um, it's uh, a site that's encircled with megalithic standing stones. And for the, uh, you know, for the observer that, well, what's, what's that stone doing there? Well, I don't know. It's just it's some kind of marker. They actually are precisely aligned to the solstices, the equinoxes, the lunar events, all sorts of stuff. And there are, there are more than just the four cardinal, you know, winter solstice, summer solstice, and, and then the equinoxes. It's the rising of the equinox sun, the setting of the summer uh, solstice sun. All that is embedded in that site. So Kelsey Stone has been grew up with this. So he goes on his he goes on Google Earth one day and he goes, "Gee, I wonder what happens if I draw a line on Google Earth from the center of of our site out to the summer solstice standing stone. I wonder where it goes, if anywhere." And the reason why he did this is because he wanted to see if it went over his house his old house that he had lived in. He was just a curious kid. So he extends the line and uh, he extends it further. He's just goofing around on Google Earth. And he's, you know, in, in the Bay of Fundy and and out uh, towards Newfoundland and across the Atlantic and through Ireland. And he finds himself in southern England. And he realizes, wow, I'm kind of near Stonehenge, England. I wonder if the line passes like, you know, 50 miles away or something. That'd be pretty cool. So he starts zoning in with the line and enlarging the map as any, anybody who's gone on Google Earth know what this looks like. And he, and he gets to, and the line actually intersects Stonehenge, England directly. It hits the center trilithon or trilithon or whatever you want to pronounce it, dead center. There are two uh, trilithons which are sort of at right angles to each other. The line bisects both of them dead center. And when he saw that, he couldn't believe it, so he did it again, and then he showed his father, Dennis, and Dennis says on the film that the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. He realized that something was going on here. This site was overgrown. No one knew about the Standing Stones until Dennis's father, Robert Stone, uh, actually began to, you know, found a, a couple of the Standing Stones and figured out, my gosh, it, these coordinate, these point to the equinoxes, solstices, lunar rises, the whole deal. And so this is, you know, I knew about this and Kelsey Stone let me use this information in volume one of Amitrail of a Nephilim. But we had no idea of just how incredible the site was. When we went back and filmed, I was with our good friend, Fritz Zimmerman, friend of Amitrail of a Nephilim. Fritz been in many of the, uh, of the, of the series and is a, just a, a great friend. And we really enjoy going to a lot of different sites with him. But so we were in the, what we call the war room with Dennis and Dennis dropped the bomb on us. What I mean by that, he had not shared this information with other production companies, for instance, Travel Channel, History Channel. He just didn't do it for whatever reason, but he shared it with us. And I don't know why, but he shared it with us. And it was a great honor. And what he showed us was that there were other points of correlation. Once they knew about the summer solstice sunrise, they began to go on Google Earth and find these other standing stones around the site to see where they would connect to. What they discovered was a connectivity between, remember, this is not arbitrary. 
in order to do this thousands of years ago, you've got to be in the air. You've got to be able to triangulate. You have to figure the curvature of the Earth. I know flat Earthers are rolling around. Oh, my gosh, the Earth is flat. No, the Earth is a curve, which makes it even more incredible that they were able to do this. So when you go out to one of the standing stones from the center, you wind up in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico. When you go to another standing stone, you wind up in Teotihuacan, precisely at the Pyramid of the Moon in Mexico. When you go to yet another standing stone, you wind up in Machu Picchu, Peru. Uh, A fourth standing stone that you go to the Canary Islands. There are step pyramids in the Canary Island, which are thousands of years old. And of course, number five would be Stonehenge, England. It's global. Well, Dennis shared something with me fairly recently that they went out to the August, I think, moonrise, and that coordinates and actually splits the center pyramid, the Pyramid of Khufu, on the Giza Plateau, the Great Pyramid. So this is the Axis Monday. There's no doubt about it. These sites, there was a connection between all of them. The question is, uh, and this is why these are the fingerprints of the supernatural. I mean, anybody who looks at that has to go, well, I don't know how they did that, but they did that. So they must have been able to do that. Not so fast, citizen. Most people who say that do not hold to a natural worldview. And so that's that's problematic because they just say, well, they, they did it, so they had to. Well, that doesn't work. How did they do it? You don't know. If you're intellectually honest, you'll say that you don't know. The bottom line is the only way to do it in modernity is to triangulate in the air. I've talked to surveyors. They look at that and they kind of go, oh, boy, you know, what are we, what are we looking at here? Because it, it's absolutely profound. So America Stonehenge to English Stonehenge, that's profound in itself. But then Chaco Canyon, Teotihuacan, Machu Picchu, the Canary Islands, and then the Great Pyramid of Giza. There was a connectivity. These sites are thousands of years old. I believe that the dragon used these to go from one point of area to another area. And that's what's interesting is all these sites were abandoned, if you'll notice. All these sites were abandoned. Machu Picchu when the English explorer, quote unquote, discovered it, the Inca knew about it. And, and one of the guides told him about it. I forget the guy's name. And up they went. And he was basically the first European to see Machu Picchu. But, you know, the Inca knew about it. And it was abandoned when he got there. Uh, same thing with uh, America Stonehenge, abandoned. Same thing with Chaco Canyon, abandoned. Teotihuacan, abandoned. Machu Picchu, abandoned. Canary Island Pyramids. Step pyramids that look very similar to the pyramids that are north of Lima in a place called Corral. In fact, if I were to take you to uh, the Canary Islands and show you those pyramids and blindfold you and say, where are you? And you knew about the pyramids in Corral, you would kind of go, wow, there's, de- there's a definite similarity. They are step pyramids that are made of head-sized stone. So it's not megalithic, but it's all connected. It is absolutely all connected. So that's kind of a long answer, but... Uh, I hope that whets the appetite of your listeners. Now, a little bit about the Serpent Mounds in Ohio. So we actually ordered your DVDs, the first five of On the Trail to the Nephilim. We do a men's group once a month. We have a couple guys come over and we watch these DVDs. And it's, you know, sparked some research and questions that have just been a game changer for a lot of us. The Serpent Mounds in Ohio. Now, I'm right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's not too far from me. Rodney, where outside of Philly are you? I am right in between Reading and Philadelphia. So okay. it's, if you know Monopoly, yeah. the Reading Railroad. 
Yeah, sure. Supposedly absolutely. where the Liberty Bell had cracked along the way. Yeah, yeah I, I grew up in a famous Philadelphia farmhouse um, in Montgomery County, PA. So uh-huh. Peter Rothamel painted the Battle of Gettysburg in the house I grew up in. It's the imagery wow. where the guy has the musket and he ran out of ammo, so he's going to hit. So there's four pages in Montgomery County Historical Society, which at the time that this was done, it was Philadelphia County. Um, but Peter Rothamel painted that depiction of Gettysburg in the house I grew up in. So I've always been like big history guy, like, you know, learning about that when I was young, it, it always kind of sent me in the direction where I was enamored with history in general. Then when I got a hold of the Bible and, and like we discussed in the beginning, I learned about Chuck Missler. It was all, it was all uphill from there. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I grew up right outside of Valley yeah. Forge, three miles from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Really? That's awesome. So, wow, I did not know that. I did not know that. I work at a 3M right in Limerick. Yeah. Um, So right off of 422. And that's awesome. I didn't know you were from around here. Wow. Wow. The Serpent Mound is, I believe, one of the largest, if not the largest serpent effigy. Uh, It's certainly the largest dirt effigy uh, on the planet. No doubt about that. When you actually go there, to the Serpent Mound. I've been there three different times, and we film. You'll see signage that, that will state that the Shawnee built the Serpent Mound. But as we, we talk to Chief Joseph, who quotes Chief Wallace of the Shawnee, the Shawnee emphatically state that they did not build the Serpent Mound. It was there when they got there. So, Houston, we have a problem. Um, at the Serpent Mound, I wrote a paper on this. Uh, it's a new paradigm with the Serpent Mound. Everybody, a lot of new agents are going, oh, the serpent mound, it's, it's the snake, you know, it's wisdom, and it's in the act of birthing this egg, which is wisdom to mankind. Uh, not so fast, citizen. That's not what it is. It hails back to Genesis 3.15, which is the seed of the dragon, the seed of the serpent, literally. The seed of the serpent, the offspring of a serpent, will be at enmity at war with the offspring, the seed of the woman. He, the one from the woman, the coming one, the Messiah, will crush the serpent's head. The serpent will bruise his heel. That serpent effigy is Genesis 3.15 screaming at you. That serpent is in the act of attempting to devour the egg, destroy the egg. And you can only see it from the air. In fact, they built like a two and a half story tower that you can climb up and you can kind of see it, but not really. When you, you we flew our drone up, you know, six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand feet, whatever, above the thing. Wow. Then it comes to life. Then you can see this undulating serpent. Oh, and by the way, the serpent mound is built on an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. The serpent mound, the undulations in the serpent point to uh, different the solstices, the equinoxes, the lunar rises, the whole deal. It's all there. It's all there. Shawnee did not know that. The Shawnee did not know that we were on an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. End of story. End of story. So if they didn't know Absolutely. that, if they didn't know that, then how the heck could they build it? And you can only understand what you're looking at from above the earth. This is in your face, Genesis 315. It is it is sat there until really until my paper. And I mean that with all due respect to other researchers. This is Genesis 3.15. See, the problem is all these archaeologists and anthropologists, they never hold to a biblical worldview. And so when they look at this stuff, they never they never come up to an answer. And the same thing with New Agers. Oh, it's a serpent which denotes wisdom, which, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's your opinion and you're stuck with it. But that's not the true interpretation of it, in my opinion. 
The moment we plug the biblical narrative, it screams Genesis 3.15, screams it. And there it is. And, it, you know, and they, these sites are, are uh, connected to other sites. When we were there on the vernal equinox, the spring equinox, there was a coven of witches. Gee, I wonder why. They know what's there. Uh, we show in our third film, uh, Voices, uh, Secrets of a Supernatural, Voices from the Other Side. And thanks to Steve Quayle, who gave us the audio of an interview he did with Henry Gruber. And Gruber was doing all these, going all these mounds and, and rededicating them and repenting of the bloodshed and the sacrifice and all this stuff. Well, on the way home for Thanksgiving, he sees this sign, you know, Serpent Mound. So he does a detour and he figures, well, I'll just take care of this. So he goes there and he goes up to the head of a serpent. There's nobody there. It's snowing. He's got a light jacket on. It's snowing lightly. So by the time he's done, it's snowing a lot harder. He's getting cold and he starts to walk off back to his van in the parking lot. He's the only van that's there. There's nobody else there. It's it's Thanksgiving, okay? So all of a sudden, he's he's hit with something incredibly visceral uh, right in his solar plexus. Down he goes. He can't move. His knees are brought up to his chest. He's writhing in the snow. He's doing everything he can, can do to get out of it, praying, rebuking, spiritual warfare. He can't get out of it. Finally, the Lord begins to speak to him. We show all this in the film and, and the CGI. Excuse me. The CGI was done by Wesley San Giorgi, who did a wonderful job bringing it all to life because all we have was, was Henry's audio. So we use Henry's audio, and then uh, Wesley brings, brings the story to life, and it's incredible. So he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says, you know, Henry, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release you from this, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't call you here. I didn't tell you to come here. You came on your own. And it was a huge lesson, huge lesson for Henry, you know, the sin of presumption, uh, where we think that, oh, the Lord wants me to do something, not so fast. Uh, I'll just give you a follow-up on that. Over the weekend, I watched a video. And it was really a good video. And this guy is making the rounds. This Kevin Zadai guy, and you know he was in, in allegedly up in heaven with with the Father and Jesus for five hours. I don't, you know, it's that I find that incredible. But you know, God can do whatever He wants to do. Uh, the proof text of that would be Isaiah. Uh, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. How long was Isaiah there? Right? Enoch walked with God. So God does stuff like this, and for every reason He picked. Kevin, and, you know, Kevin has been telling everybody about that. So I watched it, and I said, you know, Lord, what do I do with this? And you know what the Lord told me? The Lord said, rest in me, and I will direct your steps. That's all he said. Rest in me, I will direct Amen. your steps. In other words, don't go running off after this. Just rest in me, and I will direct your steps. And you know what I found? I, I turned 70 this year. I've been walking with him for 40 years. And in some ways, I'm like a babe in the woods. I'm like a newborn. I'm just just waking into my destiny, you know, because he knows who we are before we know who we are. You know, it's like, <laughs> how's that for a real mind? Absolutely. Yeah. He does, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I got that and I went down and told Peggy, my wife, and I said, you know, Lord just told me, just, just rest in him and he will direct our steps. So if he wants me to you know, get into this, whatever, um, I will do that. In the meantime, you know, we have our daily show that we do on, on YouTube, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural Report. And that's our daily show. And uh, we're really proud of it. Our My new son-in-law, John Adam Hicks, is, does all the editing on it. So it keeps me doing other things. So I'm not bogged down with that. So 
It's uh, it's been great. We actually had Derek Gilbert on from Skywatch this morning and uh, talking about the Nephilim again conference, which is next week. Shameless plug. It's next week. It's a virtual conference. Nephilimagain.com. Nephilimagain.com. Russ Dizdar, Derek Gilbert, Chief Joseph Riverwind, Drew Graffia, my sit-down, one-on-one with Gary Stearman, all things Nephilim. Everything that we're talking about today, uh, Rob, that's what that's what's in this virtual conference. Nephilimagain.com. It's virtual for $89. You can watch the live streaming up to 30 days, and you also get all the DVDs. I know everything that I've watched so far from you has been phenomenal. We also ordered the higher entities, the lost tapes. And I know Derek Gilbert's in the first, uh, I'd say, 10 minutes of that. He he has some responses that uh, the Collins elite, I believe, he talks about. Yeah. And that that's some interesting stuff. That I mean, I'm not well versed in all of that. It's just something that uh, I'm kind of have been introduced to recently through the higher entities. But uh, one of my favorite stories that you have um, is about the Kandahar giant. Uh-huh. And L.A., let me tell you, that that was a game changer for me when I heard that, because my wife is from Southeast Asia. Oh, wow. And she does most of the introductions on my podcast here. She's from the Philippines. She's been here in the, the States for about eight years now. But she had an encounter when she was younger with a very large bipedal, what she considers to be pale-skinned, male out in the foothills of the the Philippines. They lived out in the Providence. Um, Her mom worked abroad to America. She was separated from her mom until she was from like seven till she was 20 years old. Wow. And her mom worked over here and that's how she got her here to America. And and we met, fell in love and had my son about four years ago now, but she has a story and she, I begged her. I said, honey, please come on the podcast and tell people. And she doesn't want to, Uh, hopefully she doesn't get too mad at me for bringing that up, but she had an experience, you know, over there where they live, this stuff is, it's as real, you know, Hollywood entertains us with a half truth here and everybody's like, oh, do, 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 you know, and they don't consider it. But in, in other places around the world, a lot of times people take this stuff serious. They read their Bible. They believe in their Bible. The Philippines is the only Christian nation in the Far East, you know, and people there have experiences, you know, their, their local lore and legend is, is very real to them. My mother-in-law, she lives right outside of Manhattan, L.A. She won't go outside after dark. When she comes over here to Pennsylvania, she does not go outside after dark. Yeah, absolutely. And let me just tell you what your wife talks about. We had a gentleman who came on the record anonymously. And, you know, he was he knew the president of the Philippines. And so this guy set him up with on, to go out to this island look, looking for oil. Well, the guy that was was his guy was a headhunter, wow. and you know they, they were headhunters. They were cannibals on 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 certain islands of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You know this, right? This guy's talks to this gentleman and relating a story that, and this goes back probably now 60, 70 years when this was happening, very remote island. But these giants would live way up in the highland, and the village people, not the band, but the people of the village. Would the young braves, the young men, would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12-footers to come walking down the path, and they would jump on them and kill them, drag them back to the village, and the village would feast on the body for like two weeks. Now, what your, what your wife saw was real. There's no doubt about it. They're all over that area. They're also over Afghanistan. Was there a migration from the Levant uh, out this way? Uh, across the Pacific, more than likely, yes. 
It was also, I believe, another incursion or migration to the United States. They came in from both directions. The Lovelock Caves, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, my I've wife. Been I've been to the Lovelock. Doesn't Caves. have you? My dad's out in Nevada. How far is that from Pahrump? Uh, that, let me see. We flew in. I'm trying yeah. to. It's. I believe it's it's in the northern part. Yeah, it's it's up north. It's closer to Reno. And we went there because I forget the gentleman's name. I'm, and I'm sorry, but Ron Moorhead, my friend, if he's listening or he gets this, Ron, Ron Moorhead was there. Joe Taylor was there uh, because this gentleman uh, had discovered this huge, giant black hand on one of the rocks on the side of the cave that no one had ever seen because, you know, it was just there forever. So um, they they foolishly put it on Facebook. When I got there basically a month later, someone, you can take a guess who, had erased it completely. There was no sign, no trace, no sign of the black ham. They have photographs of it. It was huge. But for those of your listeners who don't know, uh, Sarah Winnemucca uh, wrote about this. And, you know, she's a native Paiute First Nation people. Her tribe was the Paiute. And the Paiute uh, warred against these red-haired, six-fingered giants who were cannibalistic. And we know from newspaper reports, allegedly, that apparently there was either a 10 or a 12-footer pulled up out of a dry lake bed at the turn of the century. Uh, the skulls you could actually see, I actually photographed, I didn't photograph them, but a friend of mine, uh, Aaron Judkins, did. And he let me use the photographs for my Amitrail of a Nephilim book, which were taken from the Sarah Winnemucca Cave, Lovelock Cave, that were in the museum. You can no longer see those, but we we show them in the book because we had access to them. Now, L.A., with all this information that we covered on this episode and all the other work that the Lord's led you to do over the years, and the day that we're living in as a watchman in the body of Christ, what do you feel that the church needs to hear as a whole? What's your advice for the days ahead? Well, what I think about what's uh, my advice would be that, first of all, if you think you know Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. So the first thing a person needs to do is understand who and what he is. He was the son of God. It, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. And when a person confesses their sins and believes in him who was sent, which, of course, is Jesus, Yeshua, then they're grafted in. I mean, that's the deal. You believe on him who was sent. You confess your sins and believe that Jesus died for those sins. Because we all do it. We all we all have the dragon code, as I said in the beginning, in us. And we all do things that hail from the dragon code, which, you know, some of them can be extremely bad. Uh, so when we do that, we're saved, we're born again, and we become spirit-filled by the spirit of the living God. That happened to me 40 years ago. My life has never been the same. Uh, and it's I'm just, I marvel every day at what, what the Lord has done and what the Lord can do and what the Lord will do. So the bottom line is we are in tenuous, tumultuous times. I believe that the COVID virus, although real, and I said this in March, scandemic, and now we know that the CDC released the actual death toll only from COVID, not from pre-existing conditions with COVID, like if you have asthma, type 1 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, yes. all those things, yeah, the numbers go up. But those people who died from COVID mm -hmm. alone are under 10,000 people. So scandemic anybody, uh, the efficacy of masks is nonsensical. Meanwhile, Antifa 
the, the who are the real fascists, by the way, and the BLM movement, which is, is mm -hmm. basically are nothing more than cultural Marxists, and they've said so. They are both engaged in occult activity. BLM is, is engaged in cultural Marxism, rooted and grounded in cultural Marxism, but they're engaging in necromancy, mm -hmm. uh, in occult activity. Um, same thing with the Antifa movement. Uh, they're setting fires out on the west on the west coast. This is an insurgency. It's an attempt to overthrow our country. Pastors need to wake up, quit playing church, have the the front pew uh, turn to the pew behind them. So that's maybe twenty or thirty people. That's your small group right now. Pray, pray against this. Then the row number three turns to row number four and does the same thing. That's how you pray in church. So not only one person is leading it, one person wow. can see it, but the church is actively engaged in prayer. And that's what we need to do. We need to focus and target this stuff and really begin corporately to rise up against it and basically say no more. You're not coming to my city and doing this. And this is problematic because, you know, all it takes is one hothead and you got a civil war and we're really close to it now anyway. That's what they want. They want chaos. They want a civil war. Uh, their motto, the new, new World Order, is out of chaos order, and they're bringing it about. So, you know, the problem with the, the Antifa people, the cultural Marxists, uh, BLM, uh, using necromancy, witchcraft, what have you, this is, we're not in Kansas anymore. The church needs to rise up and say no more. Our weapon is not carnal. Our weapon is supernatural, spiritual. We need to fast and pray and come together as a body. And, and stand up for your city, stand up for your town. If your goofy Democratic mayor or governor is, is putting draconian uh, lockdowns on your church, do what they did out in California, right? They stood up against them because it's unconstitutional. They can't, they can't mandate that stuff. Why is it that we can go into Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Harbor Freight, Vons, Acme, whatever, and do all this stuff, but we can't vote in a voting poll? Are you kidding me? You know, that, that's just, it's, it's so nonsensical. Yeah. I can go to Home Depot. I could go to my poll. Yes. Thank you very much. End of story. So people need to stand up and demand that this happen. Those are just some thoughts I could go on, you know, for another hour on this subject because it's uh, it's very intense. And I got to tell you, folks, if you call yourself a Christian and you're going to vote for Biden, here's what you're voting for. And right off the bat, how can you call yourself a Christian if you believe in part abortion of any kind or if you're if you're giving a thumbs up? to uh, infanticide, which Governor Cuomo in New York signed him a law. That's the Democratic Party. Abortion on demand, uh, the coming of infanticide, the, the ridiculous sexualization of children, which is what we're seeing now with this goofy Netflix thing. Boycott Netflix, folks. Open borders, uh, the legalization of 22 million illegal aliens, which is a real slap on the face of the people who came here legally. Uh, and as, as Bill, Bill O'Reilly used to say on his show, that uh, Mexico and other Latin American countries are exporting their poverty. It's exactly what they're doing because these people who come here can't do anything down there. They're uneducated for the most part, not all of them, but for many of them are, they have no skills and they're uneducated. So they come here because they got no other place to go. If I were down there, I'd come up here too, but we can't have, we can't feed the entire planet. We can't have the entire world coming here. People need to come legally. And for a lot of people that will never happen. That's why they come here illegally. But that's a democratic platform, open borders, higher taxes, higher taxes. They will legislate you into oblivion. All one needs to do to see 
the uh, efficacy of, of state-run democratic control. Look at California. They are billions of dollars in debt. Governor Grusom has no idea how to govern, and certainly not Mayor Garcetti, you know, who wants to uh, uh, fine you $500 for not wearing a mask on a beach. The guy's a lunatic, in my opinion, with all due respect. Those are some thoughts. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, L.A. You said everything that I feel and and talk about at my kitchen table and with my friends and family and people here in the neighborhood. I think we, we definitely have to be intrepid and bold. And Ephesians uh, 6 tells us, well, look, we got to take up this armor. You know, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we have to put on that helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, you know, the belt of truth and, and the sword that is the spirit, the word of the living God. You said everything that, that I think. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more on all of that. Um, you know, the days we're living in are, are dark and, and they're cold. And like I say on the podcast, you know, coming from hostile territory in southeastern Pennsylvania, because they burnt, what, 40 cop cars in Philadelphia down? We're not okay with what's going on here. This is not okay. But as Christians turning the pews towards each other and praying, specifically and with a purpose and in spirit and in truth proceeding, you know, to the throne room of God boldly, you know, he says, come boldly to the throne room of grace. And in the days we're living in, I think that that's the most important thing to get out to the audience is the, you know, being an encourager and reminding people, you know, the good King is coming. He's going to crack the sky like a supernova and he's going to pull back the veil. <laughs> and that's when the real party starts. Yeah, I'd love to send you an email with some information on the house I grew up in, you might find some pretty cool stuff about that property. I mean, George Washington's men slept on the porch of the house. Wow. And like I said, Peter Rothmull painted that famous painting in the house I grew up in. And uh, I'm blown away to know that you're from this area. All these years I've followed your work. I did not know you were from Southeastern Pennsylvania. Valley Forge. I mean, come on. I vacation there once a year and go walk around with the family. So... You know, when we're off the air, we'll talk a little bit about what your favorite cheesesteak is from the area also. <laughs> that sounds great, Rod. <laughs> well, LA, any last words you want to say to the audience before we close out tonight? Just, uh, you know, understand the times that we're living in. It was prophesied. Don't let these days overtake you. Uh, the most important thing you can do if you're, you know, a non-believer uh, is, is come to him. He's, he's got the answers. He's got the key to your life. <laughs>